Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you? Thursday's podcast. I hope life is well and you're hanging in there. What a mad, mad week. And it's still very much, John, all this carry on in the States, all the speculation, the game stuff, the what's happening, who's it's crazy, winning. Crazy, 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 crazy stuff. It's fascinating uh, stuff. It is fascinating. And I tell you, we're going to come back to it today because, again, on Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Come if on. you want to get the inside track, lots and lots of people from all over the world are saying, you know, I know you did it on Monday or Tuesday. I know you did it on Tuesday, but can you do it again? More stuff yeah. on this. What's your take? Well, now that I understand it a little bit better. After you were schooled. I was schooled. I was properly schooled. But yeah, it's kind of, in many ways, it's kind of worrying. You know, I, I did take the time to go back and watch The Big Short. It's a great movie. Very good movie. Yeah. And I know it's it, the whole scenario is very different and all the rest, but there's a lot of similarities there to this. There are a lot of similarities. And the thing that struck me most about it was one of the characters in the film was describing what was going on. And he was saying that all this kind of wheeler dealy stuff is going on all the time, but nobody actually looked. And actually, the line he used was, people are walking around looking like they're in an Enya video. Oh, I love it. But, like, what worried me about it is that if the key traders and all these institutions don't really have their finger on the pulse of what's going on in the background, and this makes up a huge part of our economy and the performance of our economy, Jesus, well, we're in the lap of the well, gods I think, then. I think, you know, I think that Michael Lewis, and I've met Michael Lewis, um, right. I think that Michael Lewis is an amazing writer, right? Really one of the best. Yeah. But having read a lot of Michael Lewis stuff, I think that he has a story which is always the outsider as hero, the slightly socially awkward person yes. as a savant that that savant sees through the cant and the nonsense and the hype and and he is elevated while everybody yeah, the big else... Yeah, full of them. Yeah, yeah, that's bullshit. That's great for movies. That's yeah. not how the world works. What actually is happening is human psychology, right? Is that it's not that people look the other way. The same thing happened here during the, 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 the housing boom, right? It's not that people actively look the other way. It's that people get sucked into a mania. 
And the best way of keeping a bubble going has been part of it. Mm. So think about it. The more and more people who bought houses here, the more and more people said, it's going to keep going up because they're investing. So I don't think that it's as easy as this extraordinary far-sighted individual who sees through everything, has the courage and whatever. I think basically what happens is people get sucked in for a variety of reasons. And I think we will start there today because I've always felt that, you know, it's nobody's fault. Sometimes it's a morality tale. How did you do that? It's nobody's fault. No, it's it's not your fault if you bought a house in Ireland in 2007. All right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right? yeah you're you're yeah. not some complete idiot, right? Yeah. As I always said in this, in the late, late, most people in Ireland bought houses not out of greed, but out of love, that they were actually in love. That's what happened. It's a nice way of putting it. But it's true, you know, because everyone used to say to me, oh, you must think they're all wankers, all those people who got caught out. Because you were telling them, and I said, no, because yeah. they have a family, they have kids, they have young kids, they need a place to live. You know, circumstances and prices change everything. Prices change the way people behave. Yeah. Right? So let's talk about this with two really interesting thinkers. Eric Lonergan and Mark Blythe. Mark, you know, of course. Yeah. And Eric, you'll remember, yeah, the two of them from... came together to write Angry Nomics. Yeah, which They're... is a fantastic book. Amazing. So, And also Eric works in the market and has done for many, many years. So let's go straight to them. Eric and Mark, Get their take. So we are still reeling from the consequences, the fallout of, which is kind of a pitchfork revolution against Wall Street in the United States. We also have Navalny in Russia. That's really going in a direction where I think Mr. Putin's even becoming a little bit uncomfortable. There is a link between these two issues. And I think the issue is control. Who has control? Who exercises power? And how do people grapple with the powerful and how do people express themselves? Because what's going on in the States, in at least in financial markets, does seem to me to be like a grassroots revolt against the establishment. But I have two proper experts on the line to flesh this out. The gentlemen who wrote Angrynomics, you'll remember we talked to them during the middle of the summer. Mark Blythe, who we've turned into the poster boy for Scottish independence <laughs> on our own. And of course, Eric Lonergan. How are you, gents? In good form? Aye, fine. Very, very from good. the fact that you've turned me into the poster boy for Scottish independence, we'll, we'll forgive <laughs> you for that one. Well, listen, we can go down that route. We can go down that route. Eric, how are you? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Eric, I'm going to start with you. You know, you're yeah. Been the markets for a long time. You've always said to me, man, this is as much about human psychology as it is about, you know, pound, shilling and pence, about economics, about finance. From the human psychology perspective, what yeah. is going on? Tell me what's going on. Because, you know, the amazing thing about prices and money is that prices excite people, right? The, Absolutely The actual right. price itself is important because it, when a price goes up, it gets people excited. When a price goes down, it gets people scared. And the herd comes in and the giddiness and all that good stuff. So let's look at this from that angle first. That's, I mean, you, you've hit the nail on the head. So the interesting thing is people often try to present stock analysts and stock markets as being about spreadsheets. They're not about spreadsheets. They're about human psychology. So if you have a business and you list that business and it gets a price, that price becomes a social signal. And as soon as a price starts moving around, it becomes subject to chatter, to gossip, to speculation, and ultimately, in extremis, to mania. And that's what we're witnessing right now. And it is the most basic of human emotions are all at play, from fear to greed, to what your neighbor's doing, 
to a sense that of scarcity and panic. Um, and it's it's as old as stock markets are. There's nothing new that's ha- there's nothing happening here that we haven't seen before. Okay, but there is something going on, Eric, in terms of the barbarians at the gates, which, by the way, is a very good book if you want to read <laughs> about the original private equity guys. Remember those ones? Who was your man? It was Goldsmith and uh, what? Was, help me out here, Eric. Was it Jimmy Goldsmith and Icon and uh, all those? Carl that Icahn. would be right. Yeah, that'll be right. Icon, who was uh, an advisor to Donald Trump. The very sad man, the very sad man. So let's, but let's go back to, there is something new here though, which is the sort yeah. of, which is the pitchfork revolution idea. So let's talk about that. Well, so there's an interesting thing. And here's an irony. Um, I would say probably the closest analog to what we're, ha- what we're seeing today is the consequence of an idea called a, a, a squeeze on short sellers. And I've just been over the weekend, I've been, been looking up in the history books. The fir- very first stock market crash, 1901, New York Stock Exchange, was caused by something very similar, which was a squeeze on shorts. And there was a bidding war going on for Pacific Railroad Company at the time. The irony here is, listen, who was on which side? This, the magnates, which were the two rich individuals who were trying to take control of the railroad, were bidding the share price up. And the retail investors were on the short side. And it's, an, it's a sort of story now in stock market lore. You'll hear the likes of Warren Buffett, Buffett referring to it because it's an example of the perils of short selling, which is selling a stock that you don't own, speculating that it will fall in price. And Pacific Railroad went up, I don't know, six, seven times in a day because this bidding war between the two magnets, effectively two rich individuals for control, effectively cornered the market. There was no stock available for the short sellers to cover their shorts. The price starts going sky high. And in this instance, it was, you know, the multitude of speculators who lost with the apocryphal story of, you know, the beer brewer in New Jersey who ends up, you know, jumping into a vat of boiling beer because he's lost his life savings shorting Pacific Railroad. Now, it appears on the face of it, at least that's the, the narrative that we're hearing, and the genesis of this current mania, which I think it clearly is, is the reverse of this, which is you had some insiders in Wall Street, or at least some perceived to be the kind of titans of finance, shorting stocks. In other words, they've done all their fundamental analysis, and they think these share prices are going to fall, so they bet on them that they're going to fall. Somebody clever starts a story in a chat room and says, you know what, if we all gang up and start buying this stock, these lads are going to be in big trouble. And lo and behold, GameStop has done what Pacific Railroad did. It just happens to be that the masses (laughs) appear for the time being to have been on the winning side, which is the share price in days starts going up by hundreds of percent. And one of the original instances the hedge fund involved we don't quite know what its financial conditions are. I wouldn't, to be frank, I wouldn't worry too much about it. They clearly made a very big loss on those positions, but they've been able to get renewed investment. Um, but that's effectively the genesis of what's happened. And, and, and that then has sparked a mania where the price itself is becoming a story. And all of a sudden, people will jump on whatever stock is showing up, wherever, in a chat room, and the price drives speculation. And you have, from what we can see, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people speculating. Uh, And this is exactly what you described at the outside, which is the only reason we're having this conversation 
is because price itself has created stories, has created gossip, has created mania. Okay, how does this end? Before I bring in Mark and we talk about the, the big picture and the, and the politics of this and the who's on one side, who's on the other, how does this, Eric, and you're, you know, again, uh, if you're interested in money, there's a lovely little book by one Eric Lonergan called The Philosophy of Money. And it's a, it's a lovely book because it's you're short. You're a kind man. No, but it's, it's a short. Short books are a rare thing. It's a short book and it's a very, very fascinating book and it's opposite to what we're talking about right now, Eric. How does this end? You know, you're a student of this economic cycles. This does not end well, right? Okay. And actually there's some lovely ironies from history. People will have been, been familiar with the tulip mania. The tulip mania coincided with the outbreak of bubonic plague. Okay. And so still... we, have, we, we, we even have the parallel down to the fact that, you know, there were speculators in Harlem in, in the Netherlands during a plague who had nothing better to do, for want of a better phrase, than to start speculating. And of course, we all know about the tulip mania where prices got up to ridiculous levels and people were leveraged. What we know as a virtual certainty is there will be a calamitous crash in the price of these stocks. And I, I hate to say it as always, it's very, very important to bear this in mind that for every story here that we have today of a student repaying their student loan, there's another student that lost all their savings, right? This is zero sum. And the most How, what do you, what do you mean? Lost. What do you mean there by zero sum? For every winner, there's a loser here. Okay. Right. I mean, the only way, as, I, and, and one doesn't want to disparage the stock market. And, and for me, you know, as, as, a, as somebody who perceives themselves to be a custodian of capital, I look after people's life assurance policies, people's savings. You know, I, I take, that responsibility very, very seriously. Investing in the stock market is ultimately about investing in businesses that compound profitability and pay dividends. That is not a zero-sum game. That is actually economic growth paying a return to capital. But when you get into a situation where price has nothing to do with anything, it's frankly, it's just a price and a screen that people are punting around as if they're visiting the casino. Um, it's a totally different ballgame. And remember this, you know, there's only one winner at the casino, and that's the house, right? Uh, and the house here is the big exchange. Robin Hood is a complete misnomer. Robin Hood runs the casino. So Robin Hood is the sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and he's taken a little tithe. He's taken a cut of every single transaction that happens. So we need to be very, very careful of all these stories that are flying around. And, and Mark will come on to this because... A lot of these narratives are very misleading, but there are some simple facts that are very important to bear in mind, which is the probability of loss, if you took all of these companies that have been ramped, this is the very, very analogous to a Ponzi scheme. Not quite a Ponzi scheme, but very similar to it. It's a greater fool theory. The only way you make money is by selling it on to somebody who's, who's, who's willing to pay an even more foolish price. And eventually, the weight of money will cause it to collapse. And the sad reality is, you know, you don't have, don't, I couldn't care less about a hedge fund failing. I mean, if you look last year, I went back and looked at the data, 300 hedge funds failed in the first quarter of last year, right? That's their bread and butter. They blow up and they start again. You don't have to worry about some guy with his house in the Hamptons getting short squeezed. What I worry an awful lot about is people getting hoodwinked and late to the party and losing their savings. The brewer in New Jersey is who we should be worrying about, not, not the fellas on Wall Street. 
fascinating take on this because it's kind of, as, as you were kind of suggesting, it's almost an arithmetic certainty that these stocks will collapse, the game stocks of this world, right? Mark, let's talk about the politics of all this, the anger. You both wrote the book, Angrynomics, about the disenfranchised, the outsiders, people who don't feel they have a stake. If what Eric suggests comes to pass in the next weeks, months, you're into a sort of a political shitstorm here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's already Angrynomics, right? So when we did the book, we looked at Angrynomics as basically being when the majority of people in a country no longer believe the economy works for them, right? So that's narrative number one that is flying right out of Robin Hood, right? The insider game, the game is rigged, the whole lot. We looked at it in terms of product markets, basically a few firms making all the money and everybody else making nothing and wages stagnating. Then we looked at it in terms of labor markets. Why it is the costs are always put on the workers and more and more the returns are going to business. Now it's infected the stock market. Now let's be clear about what a stock market is. And in theory, when you do classes in this stuff, they tell you it's where businesses raise capital. And that's bullshit. It's not true. Most uh, investment comes from retained earnings, not from stock market. So what the stock market is, is a, essentially a large pool of prices that people can essentially take punts on in the name of portfolio management. Now, I know Eric does the nice version of this, of course, but I maintain that does. that is primarily what it is. Yeah. That's primarily what it is. So from that point of view, when you have a retail platform that comes along with no commissions and all the rest of it, and you can basically coordinate strategies, and crucially, you can start to use what Warren Buffett called financial weapons of mass destruction. That is to say derivatives, options, which amplify the direction of your bet, which allow you leverage, then you can do some real damage. Now, what Eric is saying here is fundamentally correct because there are no fundamentals, right? There's just basically prices just going up, more and more people are piling in. And GameStop is worth what GameStop is worth. It's not worth this, right? That is absolutely going to crash. And whoever's there at the top who bought it at 200, they're going to lose. And if they bought options to do that, they could be on the hook for lots more than their initial investment. And that's the important part. Now, here's the thing. There's two narratives out there. So let's examine them both. So the first one goes like this. There's a big bad firm called Citadel. Citadel basically are the major investor in Robinhood. Robinhood produced trades for normals. Uh, what they actually do is they get the order flow from all of those people. And then they sell that to Citadel. So Citadel knows before the market itself has executed the trades what the trades are going to be. And it's called effectively they front run the market. Now, they have been fined for this. They were fined $700,000 in the middle of last year because that's actually That's illegal. not a lot of money for these guys. $700,000 no, is a drop of in the of course ocean. They also never admit wrongdoing. And everybody goes, oh, that was naughty. Walk away, right? And this is also part of the feeling of one law for the rich and one law for the poor. But the fact is, this is what they do. This is part of their business model. Now, if these guys and their clients get into a short squeeze and those prices keep going up, and they've got to liquidate their positions. And the more they liquidate, the more it pushes the price up. They're on the hook for making lots and lots of losses. So narrative number one, Big Bad Citadel comes in and tells Robinhood, hey, I'm your major investor. Nobody gets to buy GameStop. Nobody gets to buy American Airlines, et cetera, et cetera, which Citadel completely denies. And we have no reason to disbelieve it or believe it. That's just one story. Now, it was true that the platform stopped you buying these things, which meant that on one side of the trade, you have the institutional investors that can still buy and sell, but the retail guys could only sell. Right? That's a huge asymmetry. And it is perceived as being deeply unfair. And once again, the people with all the money get bailed out and everybody else gets hung up. Narrative number one. Narrative number two. That's not what happened at all. 
when you're options trading off a platform, you're effectively taking a loan from the exchange. Yes. So that means that Robinhood is essentially out thousands of times more than the customer's deposits. When that price eventually falls, it will blow up the exchange. It might even blow up the counterparties that back the exchange and have systemically important consequences, which is why the SEC comes in and goes, hang on a minute, enough of this bullshit. Now, if that means that you have to stop trading particular equities, then that's what you have to do because you are genuinely concerned with a major market meltdown. Narrative number two, which one's true? Or are they both true? Or are neither of them true? You tell us. We don't know. We simply don't know. But both of them are completely plausible. Now, here's the interesting thing. Which one drives the anger? The first one. Of course. Abs- and which is the one that's all over the boards? Which is the, the one that's all over one, yeah. Twitter? The, basically the, the bad, first one. The, the, bad, first one. the bad guys, you know, absolutely, Johnny, Johnny, absolutely. Johnny Big Pants hedge fund guy is being preferred right. and being biased. So I heard, yeah, so I heard, now let's imagine the second narrative is actually true. I heard one of the senators that represents Silicon Valley on the radio yesterday uh, going on about basically how the first narrative is essentially true, right? And, you know, tech is democratizing and Wall Street's this sort of rigged game and we're going to have hearings and all the rest of it. I hope the SEC's phoning him up and going, you have no idea what you're talking about because we are actually the people who do market integrity and you're helping to screw things up. Right? I mean, so- here's the biggest irony to me of all of this is I've heard a lot of stories in the past to justify a mania. Right. I never thought I'd have progressive politicians queuing up to defend our moral right to gamble and lose our life savings. Yeah. Right. Well, okay, one, so let's, let's, let's hold this before we go, because I want to frame it there. So we have progressive politicians from AOC to, well, in fairness to Bernie, Bernie did come out in a tweet the other day and say, the whole thing is bullshit. Okay. Quite right, right. too. And Bernie is right. Okay. Yeah. But lesser progressives are coming out. And as you say, they're encouraging the right to gamble your savings, right? That is what I want to get to you to about angry nomics. This is where we are. This is the interesting mm-hmm. moment that, yeah. as you said four years ago, that left of center or proper left wing politicians would be encouraging and facilitating and basically paying homage to a market mania, you just said, no way. So that's what I want to put the frame on. How have we got here? And also, can I just say that this is like for the first time, it's the likes of AOC and Ted Cruz and Don Trump Jr. All on the same side. All on the same side. So come on, this is what, with your angry-nomics, with your politics hats on, guys, how do we get here? Well, I'm just going to add to, do you know the thing, I, I have to say this because this, this does really upset me, particularly, you know, because the worst part of this narrative will, is, is there's a minority from a certain political dimension that will start saying, this is what happens when you hand out money to people. Okay, interesting. You know, and, and, and this is where I think people really need to be careful about what they encourage, you know, because the reality is that there's a, the vast majority of ordinary Americans desperately need help at the moment. Yeah, and they need those fiscal checks and they need... Yeah, and they're not punting their money in the stock exchange, you know, and that upsets me because those people really do need help. And as you um, said... And if you yeah. then get politicians saying, you know, uh, no, 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 this is what happens, you see. This is why you can't have a UBI. This is why you can't have checks in the post. Um, so we've got to be very alert to that as well. 
you know, I, what, what's behind this? To me, you know, and this is part of the reason why Mark and I have worked together is stock markets, asset markets are very, very revealing of human psychology. And it's not a pretty picture, right? They, they make fools of us. We look like idiots when we're confronted with share prices. And I think, unfortunately, there's a huge degree of confusion. You know, again, the, the reality of here's, here's why the exchanges are stopping people trading. Now, first of all, have there been crimes and misdemeanors? There hasn't been a mania that I've ever seen where there weren't, right? But I've no idea where they are, and I'm not going to, and I'm not in ignorance going to call anyone because we may be very surprised when we get, when we see the final verdict on this. But here's the thing imagine your house price was swinging around, but house prices in general were going up by 60 to 70, up or down 60 or 70% a day. Would you be able to get a mortgage? How could you get a mortgage? Now, that's what's happening in this, with these stocks, right? The reality is most of these retail investors are doing it on leverage, as Mark described. The exchange can't provide you with leverage because you, you've got your, these prices are moving around. I mean, intraday, you're seeing moves of hundreds of percent within the same trading day. There's no way they can manage the risk. They have to stop the trading. And, and, now, and, I, and that is not, a, I'm not trying to take sides and make any judgment. That's literally the, the analogy. If house prices were moving around by hundreds of percent, none of us would be able to get a mortgage. But I think the narrative to me is really intriguing. And it dates back to the financial crisis, which is there is a deep, deep level of distrust about how the system is running in whose interest it, it, it's being run. And I think that narrative, in a sense, has been hijacked in this instance by a collective speculating mania and has kind of added, added fuel to the fire. Last word in this one, Mark, just to give us sort of context on where we go from, because I mean, I, I, I find this fascinating because I think all manias create huge political and social dynamics and they destroy things in their wake and they, they lead to a reset of various different buttons. And we see this, you know, you, you, go, back, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you go back to tulips, you go back to any sort of particularly leveraged mania. And this mm -hmm. is leverage mania because leverage has a legacy. Whereas if you lose, you know, straight up, you lose straight up and it's gone. But leverage is legacy. So, Mark, where do you think this leaves America? So it's interesting that Eric mentioned the financial crisis. I think there was a kind of a, a collective delusion that occurred after the financial crisis where we sort of went, well, that's kind of taken care of. That's all right. Let's just focus on the future, right? But a lot of people didn't focus on the future. This is where, speaking of America, the rot really begins to set in. Now, let's remember that it was just a couple of months ago that stop the steal was the main thing. The, according to polls, somewhere between 70 and 40% of Republicans, depending on which one you look at, really believe that the election was stolen against no evidence anywhere that it actually was. So what the financial crisis did was it really did destroyed faith in American institutions, which were already on the skids because of basically congressional gridlock and scandals, et cetera, et cetera. And then the dot-com bust before that as well, which it was the last time retail investors got killed. So when we decided that we weren't really going to talk about that anymore or really admit that what was happening was a kind of what I like to call a class-specific put option, whereby those at the top get their assets insured and the cost of doing so is cuts in public spending for everybody else, right? The austerity put. When we don't admit that, people know, right? They know deep down inside that they're being screwed. And there is this narrative amongst the generation, which is younger than me, going into the millennials, that essentially we old people have got everything. 
We constantly get bailed out. Our institutions get bailed out. We only care about ourselves. And this is a kind of barbarians at the gates moment in the sense of like, you know what, let's just burn the house down. And what you see there and the pure anger that you see in the Reddit for and, and the bits that leak out on Twitter are people saying, I don't care. I really don't care. I'm just going to hold the stock. I want to burn the place down, right? So this is way beyond the speculative mania in the sense of like, I think that mottled tulips are going to be more valuable than white tulips, right? This is, I'm holding this as a weapon of mass destruction. I want to take down this exchange. I want to make these people pay, right? That's the anger that's driving this. And that's what I think makes this qualitatively different from your run of the garden mania. Now, will it end badly? 100%. Is it going to be over quicker than we think? 100%. Is the anger going to go away? No, it's going to be amplified. That's your legacy. Your leverage legacy this time is even more anger and even more distrust. We will leave it there. I'm telling you, there is a Bible-bashing Presbyterian minister in you, Mr. <laughs> Blythe, coming out. It's just, I can see you there. I know you're a, I know you, I know bizarrely you're a Fenian, but you've really... I know. <laughs> but but I'm, also a Ranger, I'm also a Rangers fan, so maybe that's kind of what's dragging that through. You know, who knows? Okay. Jesus, he's confused. A freaking Fenian totally. Rangers fan. Listen, you're the first one I've ever met. <laughs> no, there's four of us. <laughs> All right, guys, that was great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks guys. Bye. Lovely to see you. Take care. Bye. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Apart from Rangers fans, confused Rangers fans, I thought what Eric was saying about, you know, this whole thing has kind of supercharged the worst instincts of the human psychology. Yeah, Eric is very, very interesting because I've always believed that financial markets are not about economics or maths or yeah. spreadsheets. I really believe they're about human psychology. What happens when the herd goes from fear to greed, the gossip, the rumour, the fear of missing out, this FOMO idea, yeah, yeah. the bragging, the outsized confidence. And the interesting thing is economists, and it's a crazy thing, John, believe that prices don't mm -hmm. really have 
as big an impact on psychology as we know they have, right? Yeah, yeah. So what happens, the very move in price that creates the giddiness, right? Creates the madness. And it, it sucks us in, in, mm. a, in, in a way. And then, of course, you have this extraordinary idea that in economics, economists say that man is rational. But we know that man is entirely irrational. Yeah. And the thing about rational man, the notion is we know our own mind. We don't know our own mind. We're completely irrational, right? That's the yeah. beautiful thing. Like Mark yeah. is a Catholic Ranger supporter. Irrational, right? <laughs> this is get down to basically we fall in love. We do crazy things. We, you know, all these things based on our own irrationality. Yeah. And then when you get a speculative mania, right? Where it's the tulips. And the tulips is an extraordinary one. That wasn't right? true. You must explain a little well, bit more again, about that. Well, again, basically the... 1630, we're going back a long, long time. Amsterdam, Amsterdam, 1630. What's basically happening is a 200-year shift of power from Mediterranean Europe to Northwestern Europe. Right. And largely done through money and speculative ideas and innovation in money. Amsterdam becomes the centre of the world. And Amsterdam is is the financial capital of the world. As he said, the Dutch are bored. They're sitting around thinking, yeah. what are we waiting on? Also, very important, interest rates fall very rapidly in the early 16th century in Holland. Why? Because the 30-year war is over. Okay. So 30 years war. Okay, yeah. Because when you're fighting a war, you've got to spend lots and lots of money on armaments, mm. right? 30-year war is over, war spending stops, interest rates fall. Interest rates falling, exactly that's what's happening now. Interest rates have gone to zero. So the cost of speculation is almost zero. And again, what you get is tulip mania. Think of it. When we think back now, we say, how is it possible the Dutch also, at the end of the 30-year war, the Dutch start to drop the innate Calvinism that defined Holland. They're becoming a bit more open, a bit looser. Okay, yeah. And then what you think is, why does the Dutch maybe the cleverest, most commercial race in the world. As a mate of mine, we're talking about scholarship, as mm. an Israeli mate of mine said to me about Dutch people, he says, they're the only people who can buy from the Jews, sell to the Scots and still make a profit. <laughs> but this is what we're talking about, right? Good line, isn't it? It is good line. It was, it, was, it, was, it was actually in a bar in Tel Aviv. We were having a total laugh. Excellent. And we had been working on the same side of a deal for the bank we were working with and we were doing a deal with Dutch people. Yeah. And this Israeli guy said to me, he said, David, these people, they can buy from the Jews, sell to the Scots, and still make a foot. Oh. Right? <laughs> okay, so these are the guys, okay? I thought it was great, right? Yeah. These are the guys who get obsessed with the tulip mania. And tulips are just, I think, flowers. But what he's mm. saying is GameStop is the same. GameStop is a business on the decline because everything's gone online. So yeah. it's basically buying and selling. As, as Avalon said... It's a dumpster business, okay, right? But the price is what's driving everything. So that's the interesting. So the human psychology bit is the price. You see this in the South Sea bubble. You see it here in in Ireland at the end of the the housing bubble. Yeah. Same idea, you know, people speculating on speculation. So they'd be speculating on land outside Port Leash that might be rezoned, that might have a supermarket on it. And... People went mad for it's a, it. It's a bit like the, the gamblers falling into that hole where you're just kind of gambling on anything that moves. Yeah, you know? anything that moves. So, I mean, that's part of human nature. It's not a nice part of human nature. No. But it's part of human nature. 
if you really want to get a handle on the economics of this, two economists, right? One called Kindleberger. Kindleberger wrote a fantastic book called Bubbles, Booms and Manias. So it's in the, right. the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the, the title. And Minsky, uh, yes. who's the Minsky cycle. The Minsky There's moment. also another great book that I have here, which is a real touchstone of mine, called Devil Take the Hindmost, History of Financial Speculation by Edward Chancellor. Edward Chancellor is a very posh English was a journalist, now works, I think. Is this a recent book? No, it's about 10 years old. It's really very good. And devil take the hindmost is the thing. So the hindmost is the last guy in. Yeah. And the devil will take the last guy. And that's what Eric Lonergan was saying is the greater fool theory. Yeah. Which you only buy because you think you can sell it to a bigger gobshite. So you say, I'm a gobshite, but there's an even bigger gobshite yeah, yeah, behind yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. But that's interesting. And what, but what the guys were talking about is when it ends, what's going to be the fallout? That's quite fascinating. So let me ask you this then, Mike. This whole thing with GameStop has been kind of a David and Goliath story. Yes. The little guy. So is it going to continue like this? Is this going to be a kind of a, a levelling of the playing field? Well, it's an interesting thing, John. You may remember many years ago I did a one-man show in the Abbey called Outsiders. I do remember that. <laughs> anyway, no, it was about this idea of insiders and outsiders. I really felt after the 2008 crash here, yeah. And all around the world, and I was traveling a lot, whatever. And I got this sense that building, building, building was this outsider movement mm. of people who felt, I'm not represented here. Yeah. I'm not a lefty, but I'm neither right. I'm not, I'm not rich, but I'm not really poor. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not young and liberal or not I'm an old conservative, but I, I feel that I don't have a, a stake. I've always yeah. said this. And I remember writing that one man show because I felt that this was something that was bubbling under. Ever since then, almost every movement that I've seen, political, social, online, offline, financial now, has that, has that bang of insider, that whiff of insider yeah. versus outsider. Yeah. And well, of course, the whole populist movement as well, it feeds into that. The populist movement. And again, as Tom Frank, our old friend, would say, one problem with populism, it's been besmirched as yes. an idea. But in actual populism, to be on the side of the population is actually what democracy is all about. Yeah. It's actually, you know what I mean? Yeah. The idea is that populists are wrong because they're popular. Well, being fucking popular is what it's all about. Yeah, Do you know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah. like, popular, you're part, on the part yeah, of the population. Yeah, yeah. So I think that an interesting way to look at this, I'm not sure if it's the only way, but an interesting way to look at it is exactly this idea, that there is the citadel with the insiders in it. It's quite interesting that companies called citadel. Because the citadel, think about what it was in the Latin world, the Roman world. It was the it was like the tabernacle of the city. Yeah. It was the most defended yeah. insider place. And we're outside the gates and we're looking in and we want a piece of that action. Be it Brexit, be it all these things. It's all part of the same thing. And this moment is a sort of a chink in the very area where the insiders always ruled finance. Finance has never been democratic. You know, the people at Davos, you know, talk yes, about, they, of course, they of talk course. about financial yeah. inclusion. They never thought it was some fucking coked up guy on Reddit <laughs> buying stocks on Robin Hood. That's financial inclusion, actually, in yeah. some weird way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's fascinating from that point of view that I think this is part of a greater story, a greater reframing of politics and sociology and psychology and the way we look... Which is a democratization of the financial world. Well, it's a democratization, but I let's be careful, right? That 
we are now in the third decade of the 21st century. Yeah. The third decade of the 20th century also was driven by the narrative of the popular. We're leaving on the outside, etc. Yeah. We know where that got us. Yeah. So it's difficult to control. But what you, how you do control the anger is you actually give people something to be happy about, not to be angry about. It's better drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.